Well, good evening all. Going back to the verse which opened the last several uh, messages I had concerning our Lord's death, burial, resurrection, uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, uh, I deliver to you that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and then a great number of people who were seen by him. But uh, after that came his resurrection, his ascension back to heaven. And, uh, and so this is the one that I'm going to look at tonight to see just what his current work is uh, as he is uh, back in heaven. And uh, so for this reason, uh, we'll look uh, starting from his uh, uh, his uh, ascension, as it were, and then move on to his current work uh, for us on our behalf. So um, uh, the ascension of our Lord is only recorded in two of the four Gospels, that is Mark and Luke. Uh, John finishes his Gospel at the end of chapter 21 almost and uh, and he draws it to a sorry at the end of chapter 20 um, just to read those words there and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name and then he starts off again in chapter 21 and this time he's telling us about uh, uh, in those 40 days, sometime between them, uh, his meeting with his disciples. Uh, this is when uh, Peter became very discouraged and he said, well, I'm going fishing. Uh, he was just um, so discouraged and so... Uh, depressed, he was going to go fishing and uh, there were six others who decided that, well, you need a boat crew, we're coming with you. And the Lord himself appeared on the shore, called out to them, have you caught any fish? No, just the one word, no. And uh, it must have been very depressing for them. And then as he spoke on a bit more, the realisation came to John, it's the Lord. And, uh, and how following that Peter was restored once again uh, by the Lord asking three times, do you love me? Uh, no doubt corresponding to the three times that Peter had denied his Lord. And then um, <clears throat> he was uh, giving them the instructions on looking after the church of God, feed, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep but there's nothing there in John's gospel about his ascension back to glory uh, Mark gives it in just a very few words only a dozen words or so Luke in just a few more but then in the book of Acts chapter 1 is when we get a more detailed study of that and here we have uh, the Lord giving them uh, a shortened version of the great commission once again in chapter 1, verse 8. 
Well, first of all, uh, in Luke chapter 20, he leads them out to uh, Bethany. I'll just read uh, the verses there. Luke chapter 24, verse 50. And he, the Lord Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. So um, he took them out to Bethany. Now Bethany was the hometown of his friend Lazarus and his and Lazarus' sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. And uh, Lazarus had been the scene of a wonderful miracle, and that is a dead man. He'd been dead for four days. The funeral had already taken place. He was buried, and yet the Lord Jesus called him back to life once again. And uh, actually, just to uh, stay with this for a No, I won't. I'll come back to it later on. All right, so then uh, from there, having proved that he was victor over death, he then went on to Calvary. Uh, From uh, Bethany, that is, from Bethany where he raised Lazarus to life, he went on to Calvary and even a greater miracle was performed when he himself rose from the dead on the third day. And so you you might say, well... um, Uh, But other people also had been raised from the dead, including Lazarus, for example, uh, Jairus' daughter, uh, the son of the widow of Nain. There were Old Testament uh, restorations to life once again. Both Elijah and Elisha uh, had an experience of that, of raising a, a lad to life once again. But these all died again. The Lord Jesus, when he came back from the dead, he rose never to die again. And so he, he has ascended into heaven. And so here in Acts chapter 1, uh, the disciples then are asking, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Now, the kingdom in Israel had come to an end in about the year 586 B.C., Zedekiah being the last king of the southern kingdom, Judea, before Nebuchadnezzar uh, put his eyes out, took him captive to Babylon where he later died. But since that time, Israel has never had a king. They have never had a royal family at all. And uh, so with the promise that the kingdom would be restored, the disciples were asking the Lord, Are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? And Jesus replied, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the end of the earth. So here we have then uh, the Great Commission in a very shortened form. And verse 9, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, 
Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And so uh, here we have the ascension of our Lord, his response to the uh, to the disciples and then he was parted from them and uh, it says he ascended into heaven. Actually it goes far beyond all this. Uh, If we just slip over very quickly to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, uh, just read a couple of verses from verse 9. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 9. Now, well, I go to verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lowest parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So the uh, gospel records of the ascension are that he ascended back into heaven, but uh, Paul in his letter to the Ephesians says he ascended far above all the heavens. And so that takes us even further. It's uh, repeated again in the epistle to the Hebrews that... um, Uh, far above all of the heavens there. One uh, great result, a direct consequence of uh, his ascension is that the Holy Spirit came. Until he ascended back to heaven, uh, he said to his disciples, the Holy Spirit will not come. He cannot come until uh, he ascends back to heaven. When he told them he was going back to heaven, they were very uh, gloomy at that news and they didn't want to lose him. He'd certainly won their love, their allegiance. And, uh, and then he said, it is expedient for you that I go away because if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. Uh, in John chapter 14, uh, we have here, uh, reading from verse 15, If you love me... Keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And so uh, here we have the Lord saying that he must go away, and then the Holy Spirit would come. They didn't want him to go, but he said, if I do not go, then the Holy Spirit cannot come. It is expedient for you that I go away, because if I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come. So then, uh, in Acts chapter 2, we read of the coming of the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and then the church began. When we come over to further Gospels, we find that the Lord Jesus now is the head and the church is the body. When he was on earth, the disciples, uh, as I said, uh, had um, 
uh, he had won their allegiance, but uh, they were still individuals. Now as a church, there is that cohesion that we are all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul brings this out in the epistle to the Ephesians, that we are the body, he is the head. And, uh, and so just as in the human body, the head controls the body, so too he, as the head of the church, controls the church, the members of the church, all of us. And regardless of what work he has given for us to do, he is the head he is the one to whom we look for direction and the one to whom we should be obedient. <clears throat> now then, <clears throat> uh, even though uh, in uh, John chapter 15, for example, he'd called them his friends, uh, they were still uh, individuals at that time and uh, each went to their own several homes, for example, and, uh, but now, uh, with the inception of the church, by the coming of the Holy Spirit, by that one spirit, we are all baptised into one body. Now then, um, when he came... Now, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll have, have a bit of time in Ephesians 4 now. And I'll start reading from verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writing, and he said to these uh, Christians in Ephesus, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This must be the goal at all times. And so because we still have the old nature, uh, we can sometimes um, uh, transgress in this particular area with uh, conflicts. Endeavouring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he, is, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, 
but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. One very big, long sentence. Um, there, there were no full stops there from about, from about verse 11. But having a look at the giftings that he has given, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, if you have the authorised version, you'll find that the objective here has, uh, is threefold. Uh, for the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ, comma, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge. The New King James Version takes out the first comma. And so now it would read, instead of uh, threefold, it would be, um, he gave some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for service. And, uh, and then for the edifying of the body of Christ. You could possibly even take out that second comma and even run that together further. Uh, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. What ministry? The edifying of the body of Christ. And so um, th this is uh, what, what a gift has been given for. So having a look at these uh, positions here, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets. Now, just turning back a page to chapter 2, verse 20, we see here that, um, starting at verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. These are officers which uh, have laid the foundation and now the superstructure is here uh, continuing to the present day. So uh, we don't have apostles and prophets as they had in the church of the first century or the first few decades there. The apostles, of course, were the disciples that the Lord taught while he was on earth. There is no apostolic succession. And uh, the prophets were those who spoke the word of God. Uh, in the Old Testament, there were um, uh, the, the two main religious offices were that of priest and prophet. The priest was the one who represented the people to God. He's the one who prayed for them, who offered sacrifices for them. The prophets, on the other hand, represented God to the people. He, um, he took the word of God as he received it, he described the world around him 
and then he told the people what God expected from them. And so he was God's spokesman to the people. Now, in the New Testament, the prophets were those, once again, who spoke the word of God to the people for this reason, uh, not only the, the apostles but other prophets besides, because the, the scriptures were not yet available in their entirety. In, in fact, a lot of the scriptures had not yet been uh, written or even commenced at all. Uh, but now we have the Bible entirely and there is no more need for prophets as well as no more need for apostles. But having a look at the other officers here, we have um, evangelists. Evangelists are those who, uh, who bring Christ to the needy people, those who do not know the Saviour. Uh, they are the, one who, they are the ones who describe man's condition that he is lost. He is a sinner. Uh, our sins have separated between us and a holy God. And for this reason, we are lost, dead in trespasses and sins. But there is a saviour and salvation to be had by trust in that saviour. So that is the work of the evangelist, to uh, to face man up uh, with, the, with the fact that he is a lost sinner before God but he need not remain in that condition by putting his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He can have salvation. And then the pastors and teachers, uh, this is a, a joint exercise uh, because of the, uh, the uh, connecting words uh, in that, um, they are people who then, uh, with the young believers, build them up in the faith. And so it's, it's like the birth of a baby. Uh, it starts off with uh, simple uh, baby food, uh, mainly milk, but um, gradually increasing to other foods as well and developing taste for different foods. But um, <clears throat> then they come on to strong meat, and, and this is the work of pastors and teachers to develop the young Christians to become more mature and even then to take their place, uh, bringing others to the Saviour. So uh, these are the gifts that were given by the Lord to the early church. We have a good example of that, at least I believe it is, uh, in that... Um, account that I mentioned before about uh, the raising of Lazarus because you see uh, the work of salvation is a work by the Lord himself uh, we, we can't we can't save anybody uh, but he can what we can do is make uh, the Lord Jesus known now in the raising of Lazarus when uh, he, he came to the grave he said to the people who were standing around, take away the stone. And when the stone came away, then the Lord himself spoke, Lazarus, come forth. And the one who was dead came out to the amazement of all who were there. And then he spoke once again to the people, loose him and let him go. Now the first instruction that he gave, take away the stone, I liken that to the work of the evangelist because 
the person, the object of uh, the uh, exercise here is a dead man. And so he's in the tomb, the stone is set, take away the stone, and there are stones, barriers, preventing people from coming to Christ. Barriers of unbelief, it could be apathy, it could be, uh, well, any sort of excuse that people might give for not coming to Christ. Uh, They might say that um, they've measured themselves against most other people and they find they come up pretty pretty clean, uh, pretty well, and so in the judgment day they think that the uh, scales will tip in their favour. But um, this is not the gospel at all, and for anyone to go uh, beyond this life into eternity with such a thought uh, will be sadly disillusioned indeed. So then, um, uh, the work of the stronger people was to take away the stone. Now, as I said, it's the Lord's purpose to save the person. He is the one who said, Lazarus, come forth. And the one who was dead came forth. This is a picture of someone becoming a Christian, someone coming to Christ. And then his next instruction was to uh, bystanders. Once again, perhaps not the same people who rolled away the stone, but the more gentle among the people, loose him and let him go. Uh, He's restricted with all of the burial shrouds and uh, bandages and whatever else. So um, take away all these restrictions. In other words, have him freed up to carry on. So that raising of Lazarus is somewhat a picture of the work of the evangelist and the work of the pastor-teacher. But remember always that it is the Lord who said, Lazarus, come forth. And so um, uh, Paul himself brings this out when there was that conflict in the church in Corinth where people were hiving after one teacher or another. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas and so forth. Well, um, he said, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? We're just the Lord's servants. I sowed and Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. So uh, you see what the, um, how we then have been gifted to do the work that the Lord has uh, set for us. All right, um, so as we continue, uh, we see more of what uh, the Lord has for his people to do now, uh, what he is doing, um, and that is he is a priest. Uh, The work of the priest in Old Testament, as I said before, was that of representing the people to God, and we have a lot of this teaching in the epistle to the Hebrews. Now, um, I know that uh, some of this is very, very hard uh, travelling. It is really meaty scriptures, but, uh, but it is there in the Bible for us. So then, um, <coughs> uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse... 17. Actually, chapters 2 through to chapter 10 uh, bring out much of the priesthood or the high priesthood of our Lord. Um, Verse 17. 
therefore in all things he had to be made, this is the, speaking about the Lord, the Lord Jesus had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself had suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So he is our faithful and merciful high priest. I got them in the roundabout order. He is a merciful and faithful high priest. He is merciful because he knows all about uh, what we are going through. Um, David in his lovely Psalm 23 had uh, spoken of um, the Lord, uh, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Now, sheep are led, they are not driven. And so, uh, so we are described as the sheep of God and, um, and, and so he leads gently uh, we, we have this several times in the Psalms um, that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture and similar expressions uh, in the uh, book of Isaiah. Uh, he, he, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arm and hold them to his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. He is merciful and uh, this should be the character characteristic of those who are called to be shepherds of the Lord's people as uh, as he said to uh, Peter in that restoration uh, feed my sheep tend my lambs uh, feed my lambs tend my sheep and feed my sheep so uh, it's it, he knows what it is to be merciful himself uh, he knows our frame he knows that we are dust he remembers this uh, but he has been tempted in all points as we are. He knows what it is to go through bereavement. Uh, that's one of the most painful things that uh, we do experience in this life, the death of a loved one. But um, when he was at the grave of Lazarus, we read there that Jesus wept. And so he joined with the other mourners. He knew what it was um, that last hymn that we were singing there uh, it really uh, had a beautiful line in it as well uh, if I can just even uh, Jesus what a help in sorrow while the billows o'er me roll even when my heart is breaking he my comfort helps my soul. He is truly a merciful high priest. Uh, thank you, Bueller, for giving that hymn out. All right. Now then, um, he is also a faithful high priest. He will not lose one person who has been entrusted to him. Uh, in that uh, lovely 10th chapter of John, when, he, uh, when we read there, "'My sheep hear my voice, I know them.'" they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hands. Then he goes on to say, just to give it a firm assurance, 
My Father who gave them me is greater than all, and none shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. So you see, here we are. We're in the Lord's hand and and held tight. And then he said, My Father is greater than I, and none shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And that's where the child of God is, firmly held in the hand of God. I came across a, quite by accident, a saying last night, I think it was attributed to C.A. Spurgeon, the one we picked up. It is, um, he who counts the stars and calls them all by name is in no danger of losing any of his children. Uh, Referring to God, uh, it's a beautiful comment from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon and, um, and, and just goes to show that he truly is a faithful and merciful high priest. Well, uh, th- this is our Lord and so um, uh, faithful and merciful because he has been where we've been. He knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is to be hungry, to be exhausted. He's been through all of these things. And so he can certainly be the one uh, who is our helper. And just to uh, finish off, uh, coming down to the first epistle of John. And uh, in in, uh, the first epistle of John, chapter 1, there we have these uh, three... Uh, three statements, all starting with the, letter, uh, the word if. Um, and essentially uh, what they are... In verse... Um, well, I'll start at verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Secondly, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we say that we've reached the stage of sinless perfection, we no longer have any sin within us, Uh, We're just deceiving ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thirdly, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We're calling God a liar if we say we've not sinned because God has said all have sinned and our own hearts tell us that this is true. But if someone says, well, I've never sinned, I don't cheat people, I've never stolen anything, I've always been faithful in marriage, I've always uh, told the truth, I don't gossip about people, I've never sinned. And so, you know, why do I need a saviour? Well, um, if if we say that we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar because God has said all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. And we know even just by going through the Ten Commandments, that, yes, we have offended. But uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and this is one that we can take with us as we leave tonight. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So we have an advocate with the Father, so that um, when we do get tripped up by Satan, we can confess, forsake, keeping short accounts with God, and be restored to full fellowship once again with him. So, uh, so our Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, ascending to heaven, and yet he is vitally interested in each one of us still. Um, in fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 7, the closing verses there, he is able also to save them to the uttermost who come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So he is interceding for us. It's lovely when people come to you at a moment of crisis or whatever to say, well, I'm praying for you. Well, to know that the Lord himself at the right hand of the majesty on high is keeping us in his memory, praying for us. And so we go forth with that confidence. Loving Father, we bow before your presence in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. We give you thanks for him, the one who loved us, gave himself for us. We thank you that he is alive today and in the glory and ever living to intercede for us. So Father, we thank you that we do serve a risen Saviour, one who is in the world, one who is vitally interested in all of his flock, even even now, down through the centuries. <clears throat> we ask your blessing now as we separate and as we go to our homes. Be with us then, we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>